0: After delivering what is probably the severest rebuke in the New Testament, out of what is certainly the purest love in the entire universe, I want for us to focus in on what our Lord and Savior said at the very conclusion of this reprimand. The reason I want us to do that is because what he said showed the incredible and incalculable love and mercy of God for His people, no matter what they had done or how wrong they had been. Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. "Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often? I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. <clears throat> but you were not willing. Have you ever really stopped and, and given a, a good amount of thought to the beautiful symbolism of the analogy that our Lord used here? Have you ever stopped to consider the infinite amount of love inherent? in his illustration. I recently, in in studying for this lesson, did some research on hens and chickens in this context. Now, some of you who have either had or had to deal with chickens may already know some of these things, but they tend to give great power to this incredibly picturesque illustration which our Lord and Savior so perfectly chose for this occasion. Romans chapter one and verse 20 tells us that God's invisible attributes can be seen through what has been made. That is in nature or creation. And, And this picture right here of a mother hen that Jesus used is no exception. We learn so much about God. So as I was researching this, one website that I ran across said, Have you ever watched and learned things from the natural beauty that God created for our enjoyment? One of my favorites is watching a mother hen take care of her little chicks. Mama hen watches over and protects her chicks as well as leading them to food and water sources. And as I thought about that for a moment, Psalm 23 came to mind, verses 1 and 2. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The website continued. When there is danger, check this out. When there is danger, she has a a certain cluck she uses and all the chicks will go running back to her and will get under her wings for protection. There is no safer place for them in this world than to be under her wings. And as I consider that and this certain cluck that she uses to call them all back, you know, it occurred to me that in Matthew chapter 21, Matthew chapter 22, and Matthew chapter 23, which Jesus had just concluded, as well as the next two chapters to follow, which he is about to deliver. All of those chapters in Matthew chronicle how God is calling his people, how he's called his people, or sought to call his people back to him through the prophets that he has sent them for hundreds of years, and how he is calling out to them still to warn them through his son of the grave and immediate danger that that they are all in. And and you see this as you read through some of the teachings of Jesus, again in Matthew 21, 2, and 3, as well as 24 and 5, and and how God is is seeking to call them all back, like Jesus said here in this this passage, just just trying to, to call them back because of the danger that they are in because there is no safer place in the entire world for God's people than beneath God's wings, as it were. But they still were not listening in verse 37. The website went on to say of the mother hen, it will never abandon its offspring when danger arises. Now, if you have chickens or had chickens, you may know this. Mother hen will never abandon her chicks when danger threatens. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, the Lord has said, never will I leave you nor forsake you. What a a beautiful picture Jesus uses here in Matthew 23 and verse 37 to show us God's invisible attributes through that which he has made. This this illustration is, is so stunningly, infinitely perfect. One of the most... Strikingly beautiful parallels in this entire illustration, which our Lord used on this occasion, is as the mother hen, as it said in this website, does. It also shows an active mother who will gather its offspring together to protect them. If necessary, the mother hen will shield her little chicks with her own body, offering herself to preserve their lives. She will protect those chicks with her own body and, if necessary, sacrifice her own body to protect them. Isn't that a beautiful illustration of Jesus on the cross? How God came in the flesh, willing to sacrifice his own self for, for, for these people. And, and so, the analogy, the illustration here is so beautiful and, and so perfect. I mean, that is exactly what Jesus did. He wants to cover them, he wants to cover us in the shadow of his wings and and gave his own body, his own self for us. And so, as I consider this text in in Matthew 23 and verse 37, my purpose today is not to focus on those who did not come, as, as he does here, to enjoy the peace and the comfort, the safety and the security of being under the shadow of his wings. But instead, my point today is hopefully to help us come to a little bit better understanding and a little bit better appreciation of what all of us who have heard the gospel call and come beneath the shadow of his wings have been given to enjoy on both a daily as well as an eternal basis. We're going to do this in a sermon simply entitled beneath his wings. The first thing we need to understand is that this sort of wings and illustration is nothing new to the scriptures. God would describe himself in certain scriptures as the all-powerful provider and protector who only wants to gather, to guide, to protect, to shelter and to comfort his very precious and troubled children. He wants to do this beneath the all-consuming, all-powerful shelter and shadow of his wings, especially when we are going through the worst of storms, the most devastating of struggles in our lives. God himself used somewhat similar language to remind his people how powerfully he had rescued them and remove them from Egyptian slavery in Exodus 19 and verse 4, stating, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. We would also notice in Deuteronomy 32, if you would turn there, similar language and illustrations again, Deuteronomy 32, I want to look at Moses' words, which describe what God had done for his beloved Old Testament people, Israel, in Deuteronomy 32, beginning at verse 7. 32, beginning at verse 7. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you. Your elders, and they will tell you. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land, in a wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, as an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers (laughs) over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings, so the Lord alone led him when there was no foreign god with him. As As we read that text, Hopefully we get in our minds a picture we may have seen, maybe we've been blessed enough to see a, a live eagle that is, that is stretching out over her young ones in the nest or, or maybe something from a nature show that we've seen. But hopefully we, we get the picture of this huge majestic eagle sheltering, sheltering the little ones. And certainly if you know the size of some of these eagles and some of the wingspans, you're not going to mess with the nest, right? That would put you in deadly danger because the eagle will protect her young. One interesting note as we consider verse 11 and verse 13 in particular is a picture of how God, verse 13, carries his people to new heights. You know, it is a well-known fact that an eagle can and does indeed fly higher than almost every other bird that God created not quite there's a couple that fly higher but an eagle can reach heights of over 10,000 feet that's a long ways up 10,000 feet plus plus. and one of the reasons for this is because the higher you go we know those that have climbed mountains those that have been in plains the further up you go the more you can see right the more you see below you because it just spreads out. And one reason the eagle flies so high is because it helps the eagle to find food. As I think about an eagle being able to spot prey in order to feed their young, I look at verse 13, talking about how God made him to ride in the heights of the earth that he might eat the produce of the fields. And it fits together so beautifully. An eagle's eyesight is about three times as good as a human being's, three times. So at thousands of feet high, they can still see the smallest movement. And as I think about this, one website also reported, an eagle knows when a storm is approaching long before it breaks. Now I want you to think about that. As we we discuss God... Comparing or or Moses comparing God's care to that of an eagle I want you to think about this an eagle knows when a storm is approaching long before it breaks does God know Before you hit the storm in your life that it's coming Does God seek to prepare you for that? Is God willing to carry you through that? well, you see This is another reason why they are a good illustration of some of God's invisible attributes. It said, the eagle will fly to some high spot and wait for the winds to come. When the storm hits, it sets its wings so the the wind will pick it up and lift it above the storm. While the storm rages below, the eagle is soaring above it. The eagle does not escape the storm. It simply uses the storm to lift it higher. It rises on the winds that bring the storm. Does God want to carry you through your storm? Does God want to carry you above your storm? Yeah. I'm reminded as as I read this of the story of of Jesus using the storm as his sidewalk in Matthew 14, 24 and 25. I'm reminded how God is the conqueror of the storm. And all of these illustrations that we see tied up in, in Deuteronomy here are beautiful, but... Or so many others you know even David the famous man after God's own heart David understood his desperate need and listen if David understood it you and I need to David understood his desperate need to get just as close to God as he possibly could and to take his place beneath the shelter or the shadow of God's wings, if you will. David knew that that was the only way. That was the only way to life. That was the only way that was going to work. He says in Psalm 17 and verse 8, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. Aren't there days in your life where you just wanna say to God, hide me under the shadow of your wings. Just, just help me to find that peace and comfort that only you can. And, and, and what I want us to understand is that's exactly what God wants to do. That's the picture we get in the scriptures, whether it's Jesus in Matthew 23, whether it's Moses talking about God in Deuteronomy 32, whether it's David or some of these other writers we're gonna look at, they all understood that that's exactly what God wants to do and they just wanna get in there as close to God as they can to be comforted, to be protected, and God so wants to do that. And of course, we've read the phrase now a couple of times, keep me as the apple of your eye, if you look that phrase up. What that simply means is it describes a thing or a person which someone loves and cherishes above all others. Someone's favorite person or thing. A person or thing that one is proud of. David said, keep me as the apple of your eye. Let me, let me ask you this. Do you understand How favored you are in the eyes of God because when God looks at you if you are under the blood of Christ who does he see he doesn't see your imperfection he sees Jesus is Jesus a precious treasure to God because of the blood that's what he sees when he looks at us who are under that blood and our sins are gone and so we serve as the apple of God's eye if you will God loves and cherishes us. He wants to to hold us beneath that shadow of his wings. When we're hurting the most is when we need to to huddle up the closest. Let me me show you this from a couple of Psalms. Look at me in Psalm 57. And and God calls out to us from the scriptures so many times. and And he's calling out through the scriptures this morning, wanting us to know this. That if we're having a hard time, or there's danger, or storms on the horizon, he wants to help us, he wants to lift us, he wants to take us close. In Psalm 57, I want to begin in the New King James Version by looking at the subscript at the top. I realize it's not divinely inspired, but it does give us a little bit of historical background. Psalm 57, to the chief musician set to do not destroy a victim of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. Keep in mind Saul is seeking David's life. David is in a life or death situation. Saul is pursuing him, he's running to ground in a cave. Okay, David can't sit back in a, you know, a plush red pew and just say, well, I knew it was gonna end okay and I knew how it was gonna end because, no, he's running for his life at this point. And so he can't sit back and read it the way we can. And, and, and as we read, these first five verses, I want you to remember the man who's writing this is writing it when he's fleeing or is writing it about his fleeing, about this time when he was running for his life from Saul. He says, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. You can see his struggle. For my soul trusts in you. Notice that, his soul trusted God even though he was in a life and death situation. And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. David said, I know even though I'm in this terrible mess that I can find protection and that God will keep me under the shadow of his wings until this storm passes by. Notice his predicament. He says in verse four, my soul is among lions. Picture yourself out in, in the middle of, of an African uh, field and there's lions all around you and they're closing in. This is what David is in the midst of. He says, I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, their tongue a sharp sword. David was getting it from all sides and all ways, but he says, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. Even in the midst of this, though, what did he say? He said, I'm gonna take my refuge beneath the shadow of your wings because they will protect me. Even though his soul was bowed down with sorrow, as we read about in verse six, his heart still remained steadfast as he found his strength in staying close to and praising God, verses 6 through 11. David also penned Psalm 61. I want you to look at the first four verses of that, if you would, please. David was no stranger to life and death struggle. Look what he says in Psalm 61 in verses 1 through 4. Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. You ever been there? Lead me, he says, to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shadow of your wings. I'm sorry, I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Please don't miss the point that to be under the shelter of his wings meant to be in his tabernacle where he was. We'll come back to that later for you O lord have heard my vows you've given me the heritage of those who fear your name verse 5 and he goes on you see it wasn't that david didn't have overwhelming heartbreaking horrible issues it was simply that he knew the god that was able to shelter protect comfort calm and provide for him during those times David also wrote Psalm 63, and it was supposedly written when he was hiding from King Saul, again, who was seeking to keep his, take his life. Keep that in mind as we read the first eight verses. If it sounds like a psalm we sing, well, it probably should. O oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Again, we see him seeking God in his sanctuary, something we'll come back to. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Why would he praise God? Because he knew God's loving kindness was better than life itself and anything he was going through in life. Thus I will bless you while I live, verse four. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. Even though he's going through these things, he knew that he was going to rejoice in God Almighty. He says, when I remember you, verse 6, on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, because you have been my help. I love, I love what David does here. He says, I look back, God, and I know it's you who've taken care of me. I know it's you who has brought me through some of the worst times of my life. Do we know that? We need to look back to that to say, I know how God operates. Jesus same yesterday, today, and forever, right? So David, knowing that God's, God's uh, attributes do not change, David says, you have been, you have taken care of me, you have been my help. Because you have been my help, therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. Listen, sometimes when we're going through those struggles, we need to understand. We need to look back and see what God has done for us and say, right in the midst of the worst of them, hey, I see what God has done. I know how he brought me through before, how he caused me to rejoice, how he he strengthened me, how he comforted me. And so, therefore, I know that I will rejoice again because God hasn't changed. His pattern, his attitude is the same. What hope and help and strength and comfort from the scriptures. David's not the only one. Look at Psalm 91. The writer of Psalm 91 also assures us that there is simply no place on earth, no place on earth, no other place possible on earth. Like being beneath the shadow of God's wings, when the snares and the storms and the struggles of life strike suddenly, without warning, with deadly and devastating force. Psalm 91, the first six verses, look what it says. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Abide means stay there. It means live there. Take up residence there. Don't leave there. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him I will trust. Every time that we take out, I realize most people use plastic now, but there's still times when we use coins. <laughs> you know, every time that we take out a coin and we go to pass it somebody that says in God we trust on it, I'd like for us to think of Psalm 91, 1 and 2. The phrase is there. More or less. But what a beautiful passage. He who dwells in a secret place shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, because he's my refuge, my fortress. In God, in him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from perilous pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers. And under his wings you shall take refuge. Refuge. Peace. Safety comfort security that's that's what's there his truth shall be your shield and buckler the truth of God does not change that is our shield right if we're standing on the Word of God we can put our trust in the Word of God right that is our that is our shield that is our buckler we can count on that that protects us you shall not be afraid of the terror by night nor of the arrow that flies by day verse 5 verse 6 nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday." So many writers. Isaiah would similarly chime in, saying in Isaiah 25, 4, for you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat, for the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. Moses knew it David knew it Isaiah knew it and and something that I want for us to consider Have you ever stopped to think about how the the actual setup of the holy of holies the the design and the imagery of the holiest of holies where God's mercy seat was in the Old Testament did you know that conveys the same picture it shows us this same picture of being under the wings under the protection listen to me first in this one verse and then we'll turn to the book of first kings in a moment first kings 6 in verse 27 says then he set the cherubim inside the inner room and they stretched out the wings of the cherubim so that the wing of one touched one wall The wing of the other cherub touched the other wall, and their wings touched each other in the middle of the room. Do do you see the imagery? They were under the wings. They were under the protection of the wings. The mercy seat. Everything was under the wings, under the protection. The wings touched this wall of one of them. The wings of the other one touched this wall. And then they met in the middle. The whole thing is is underneath this canopy of protection. Just the symbolism of that puts the same idea across. Look with me in 1 Kings 8. What a, what, a, what a beautiful picture God draws even with the, the design here that the people could actually see because we're visually oriented and they, could, they, they would know of this. 1 Kings 8. Look at verses 6 and 7. Then the priest brought in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim for the cherubim spread their two wings over the place of the ark and the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles we read in verses 10 and 11 and it came to pass when the priest came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the lord so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud for the glory of the lord filled the house of the lord so they took it in and they placed it and then god's glory filled the place but again it's, everything's under the wings finally in the Old Testament I'd like for us to look at Psalm 36 and I, and I hope as we look at these this morning that you will find a way in your own mind to understand that you are under his wings if you are one of his children how much God loves you and how much God has you as the apple of his eye and how precious you are in his sight. Psalm 36, probably help if I were there too. I want to begin at verse 5. Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Amen, church. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, notice because of God's loving kindness, because of who God is, therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They, that is those who do that, verse 8, are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of, your, of life. In your light we see light. A Couple of things I want us to kind of notice and, and put together here from verses 7 through 10. Verse 7, it is under the shadow of his wings that his children thrive. Verse 8, it is in God's house that his fullness dwells, wherein they are under, able to be under the shadow of his wings. And it is as close to him as they can get that his beloved children are comforted, cared for, and nurtured and protect, protected as they drink from his light and life and pleasures together, that is verses eight, nine, and 10. Think about that. And then apply it to the New Testament. As we take all of what I just said into consideration, I am reminded that God's house in the New Testament is his church. The Apostle Paul will tell us that in 1 Timothy 3.15, that the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth, that is the house of God, the church of the living God. And in the New Testament, it is within his church that God's presence dwells, 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 17. And so I want to take a, a few minutes to expand on that and therefore what this means to us under the New Covenant. Turn to me to 1 Corinthians 12. First Corinthians 12. If we are in his house, which is the Church of the Living God, where his presence dwells, what does that mean for us? Well, obviously it takes everything we read from the Old Testament to a higher level. But 1 Corinthians 12, I just want to read the first, uh, I want to read verses 12 through 14. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. Then Paul goes on to explain in verses 15 through 27 how it is within this one body or church or household of God that all the members love, comfort, and care for one another. Think about that. Verses 15 through 27, he explains how within this one body or church or household of God that all the members care for and comfort and love one another. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, and and all of those things. And then from there, he moves on in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 8, to reiterate that love is the element of that abounds within the house and beneath the wings and amongst the children of the living God. We could read 1 Corinthians 13, one through eight, but it's a very familiar passage, you all know it. It is that love that abounds within the house beneath the wings among the children of God, which carries us through. The pure, sweet, flawless, infinite love of Christ Hear me, church, is the heartbeat and lifeblood of the church. And as he wraps up this chapter, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, he'll tell us in verse 13 and now, and remember, he's writing to the church, this is within the church, and now, within the church, that is, abide faith. Hope and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Have you ever considered that statement in light of our context of being beneath God's wings in his sanctuary? Have you ever considered that in light of his house or church where he dwells? Let's let's talk about it for a minute, faith, faith, hope, and love, okay, first one, faith we know from Hebrews eleven six 6 without faith it's impossible to please God we know from Romans 10 17 that faith comes from hearing the Word of God so when the church the house of God comes together as one under the shadow of his wings it is all about increasing our faith don't you come to church to have your faith increased I do amongst other things but, but how does our faith get increased when we come together as the household of God? Well, several different ways. Our faith is increased as we feast on God's word, our faith is increased as we sing out his praise, our faith is increased as we pray for one another. Doesn't it help your faith when other people pray for you? Doesn't it? Sure does. We grow in our faith as we encourage one another and bear one another's burdens amongst other things. It is within God's house that we find these things. What about hope? Romans 15 and verse 4, these things were written before the things. Let me start over. It's not a new mouth, I promise. Let me try this again. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. When the church, the household of God, comes together under the shadow of his wings, if I may use that illustration, when we come together to study what has been written in the scriptures for our benefit, that is all about this hope that we have as an anchor for the soul. Because as we learn these things, our faith is increased. We know that God can't lie, and so our faith grows stronger as we come together in his house and study. As we come together on the first day of each week to study and sing and share and encourage one another as we pray and praise God together our faith, hope, and love grows and strengthens us. Brethren, there is absolutely no earthly substitute, no earthly substitute for the strength that we gain as we gather in God's house. Is that a fair statement? Gathering in God's house gives you more strength than anything else on earth, doesn't it? For what we do and learn and encourage under the shadow of His wings on the first day of each week to study and worship together. As we we do that and we huddle up next to God and we grow closer to God and and we look at what God has done for us in the past, and we, we just hunker down beneath the shadow of those wings, keep safe from the spiritual predators of the dangerous outside world no wonder the sons of Korah would cry out in the Old Testament in Psalm 84 verses 1 and 2 and 10 through 12 how lovely is your tabernacle O Lord of hosts my soul longs yes even faints for the courts of the Lord my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God that, that should be how we come to church Our our heart and flesh should be just crying out for God like water in a dry and thirsty land verses 10 through 12 psalm 84 for a day in your courts is better than a thousand i would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my god than to dwell in the tents of wickedness i had rather be here beneath the shadow of his wings as as the weakest saint among you than to be the strongest worldly person that's not here I'd rather be a doorkeeper than to dwell in the ten- tents of wickedness. Verse eleven: For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. Will he or not? Says he will. He will give grace and glory. No good thing will be withheld from those who walk uprightly. No good thing. What so says? Reminds me of all spiritual blessings being ours in Christ. And finally, verse twelve of Psalm eighty-four. O Lord of hosts blessed is the man who trusts in you yes our faith is increased in his house where he dwells beneath the shadow of his wings so is our hope but brethren it is the love of Christ that is the greatest gift of all that we share there's no doubt about that scripture tells us that it is the love of Christ amongst us it is the love of Christ that we have and exhibit to one another that helps give us the most strength and fortitude to get through so many storms. But at the same time, this thought is very maddening to me. In some ways, this thought is very troubling or frustrating, even heartbreaking at times. And you say, wait a minute, when, when the love we have for each other is, is, can help us through, well, yeah, well, there, there's one way that, that, that that's just heartbreaking, and that's when I see people, who are not Christians and don't want to be Christians outside of the church whose lives have falling apart because we have the answer. Don't we have the answer? Beneath the shadow of his wings, don't we have the love and comfort and encouragement and support? And, and I see people whose lives are just absolutely falling apart. And I know that everything they need to help ease their hurt and ease their burdens are found right here in the house of the Lord, found right here beneath the shadow of his wings, found right here free of charge and full of grace and power. I know that it is only here in his house, huddled up beneath the shelter and shadow of his wings, that so many people that are so burdened out there are ever gonna find the faith and hope and love and comfort and support and encouragement they need to get through the heartbreak that they're suffering. Guilt, grief, depression, despair, those can be life-threatening. Those can be vicious and deadly cycles. And I know that outside of the Lord's courts and cover and church and word, outside of the shadow and protection of his wings, that's a lot of what people are going through in our world. And it's so sad, but many of them still won't come to get the help they need i know i've told you this before but please allow me to just briefly say it again it's the old illustration of the man and his wife and the wife was a faithful christian and for years she begged her husband to go to church with her and she goes to church one sunday night and there's this snowstorm going on but she goes anyway and he sits there and he doesn't want anything to do with the church and as he's he's looking this old farmer is looking outside of his window he sees some little birds out there in the snow and they're cold and they're hungry and he thinks i'm gonna go feed those birds so he goes out and he he tries to feed them, he tries to shoo them into the barn where it's warm, where, there's, where it's protection from the wind and protection from the storm, and no matter how much he tries to shoo them into the barn, guess what happens? They ain't going. They're going every which way, but they ain't going in the barn where he's trying to shoo them. And he wonders, and he wonders, why aren't they going into the barn? There's, there's, there's shelter in there, there's, there's food in there, there's everything they need in there, and all I need to do is to get them in there, and then it finally struck him. He said, oh. If I could only become one of them, then they'd follow my lead. If I could only become one of them, then they'd understand that I'm not this big monster that's trying to, to do something horrible to them, but I'm trying to lead them to what they want. And he thought about his wife all those years, telling him about Jesus. Isn't that what Jesus did? Trying to lead us to light and shelter and safety from the storm. He was trying to lead those people in Matthew 23 and verse 37, spent, spent, 33 years trying to lead them, and and the way he had done it, he had actually become one of us, right? The Word had become flesh. He had become one of us to lead us to God. But again, many of them wouldn't come just like many today won't come for the help they need. Brethren, somehow we've got to get the birds into the barn. Somehow we've got to help them understand that everything they need to heal their broken lives is under the shadow of God's wings in his house. The cure for their chaos is right here. The comfort for their affliction is right here. The strength to endure their struggle is right here. The hope to face their tomorrow, right here. The love to lift their spirits and to help them mount up with wings like eagles is only found in the midst of and surrounded by the people of God, huddled up together, standing on the truth beneath the shadow of his wings. How are we gonna teach him that? One of the greatest ways is to understand that that's the message we must put across, sometimes without words. We must let people know that we found it that we got it, that we're in the barn, that it's warm here, there's safety here beneath the shadow of his wings, that we in the church have this apple of his eye favored status in Christ, that we are precious in his sight because of the blood of Christ. May God help us all to help the overwhelmed, the weak, the weary, and the heavy laden that I just preached about, to understand that. And all the while may we never forget it either because all of us either are or were right in the midst of that storm ourselves as well. And if we ever forget for ourselves the blessing of what it means to be within the shadow of his wings and all the blessings that we have there together, and we decide to get out from under those wings, we decide to get out from under the church, we decide to get out from under God's presence and comfort and protection. If we ever decide to walk away from the sure and certain refuge that we have, Satan will eat us alive. Where are you this morning? Are you part of that church? That church is not the structure. That church is the saved people of God, washed in the blood. Have you been washed in the blood by having your sins washed away in the waters of baptism? If so, are you here this morning but you feel sometimes that you're out there all by yourself, that you're alone, you're overwhelmed, you're burdened, you're struggling? Your brethren are here to help you. One of the reasons the church exists is to help one another, is it not? Encourage one another, help one another, love one another, pray for one another. Is that why we're here? So if you're struggling with something this morning, there is absolutely no shame in coming down this aisle and saying, I'm really struggling, I need help, I've got an overwhelming burden. The only way the rest of us can fulfill the law of Christ is by helping you bear that burden, Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Don't cheat us of that opportunity. It is much more shameful to go out that door hurting Having refused to get closer to God by having your brethren pull you in ever tighter and closer to Him through their prayers. If you have a need this morning, please come down front, right, and come into the barn as we stand and sing.